people, and the dogs that bring them together. This is episode number four. My name is Bill, and you're tied to the Woe Post. Today we talk to my longtime friend, Army veteran, and avid outdoorsman, Chris Wright, and Rose Danaher, owner of Four Short Hairs, and an incredible ambassador for the outdoors and hunting culture. Both of them make it their mission to recruit new hunters and to share our wildlife heritage. And speaking of our wildlife heritage, I want to take a minute to talk about Write-In Ballot Initiative 91 in Colorado. It's an attempt by anti-hunters to halt the hunting of cougars, bobcats, and lynx. Their tactics use inflammatory language such as trophy hunting and emotional calls to action rather than facts and science-based wildlife management strategies. If you read deep into the initiative, you'll find a call to ban the use of e-collars for hunting dogs. This affects not just houndsmen, but bird hunters, and it threatens to expand beyond the borders of Colorado. The good news is the Coloradans for Responsible Wildlife Management are rallying hunters of all types to protect our wildlife heritage. For more information and to support the boots on the ground that are working to block this initiative, go to www.savethehuntcolorado.com. And before we start, I want to thank Embark for giving us advanced tools to help us become better breeders. Their Breed Plus Health Test covers 230 health risks, analyzes over 230,000 genetic markers in 350 different breeds. They include a detailed report that you can share with your vet in order to provide the best care possible for your dog. If you're interested, there's an affiliate link in the description. Just click on it and then pick the product that you're most interested in. Hey, Chris and Rose, how you doing? Good afternoon. Hi, doing good. How are you? Hey, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate you guys having here, and it's great to see you guys again. You bet. Yeah. Oh, there it is. You bet. Right there. <laughs> I did that. <Okay>. Over. <laughs> right on. I like to start off every show with a lightning round. I'm going to ask you three questions. I'll ask each question to you individually. I'm going to ask you to answer as quickly as possible, okay? Okay. All right, Chris. If you could pick only one state to hunt in for the rest of your hunting life, what would it be? Georgia. Man. Why? Why Georgia? Uh, you know, I've really come to love the weather in Georgia. So if I got to be here for the rest of my <laughs> life, uh, I, I like the mild winters. Um, there is an abundance of wildlife down here. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the quail population is 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 on a downfall. Um, however, luckily for me, uh, being retired, I get access to the base, um, and there is some wild, some wild quail on the base that I get to run chase with my dog. So, yeah, I think if I think if I had to pick one place, Georgia would be it. Right on, and we'll avoid any further implication as far as what base it would be. I don't want to get yeah, any hate no. mail about hot spotting or anything like that. Yep, I I, just, I purposely left that out. <laughs> Excellent. All right, Rose, same question. You gave me a second to think about it, and it's still tough for me. Um, I'm an Iowa girl at heart. I love Iowa, but I'm going to go 
against my better judgment and say Nebraska. I grew up hating Nebraska football. Um, but I love hunting Nebraska. You've got quail, you've got pheasants, you've got prairie chickens, sharp-tailed grouse. Um, it's not everything. I'm still missing my Northwoods rough grouse experience there, but that's pretty close to my favorite birds. Now, have you found any roughs in Iowa? I have heard roughed grouse drum once while I was up trout fishing. Um, we used to have a pretty strong population, but they're just not there anymore. We don't have the logging uh, business that we used to and the clear cuts that really, um, you know, help the grouse through that regenerative process with the woods. So they are few and far between. I have heard that there's some private landowners managing specifically for grouse. What I don't know is what kind of success that they've had. I don't know for rough grouse how easy it is to bring them back once they're gone. And I know here in Indiana, we're on the struggle bus. They're state endangered here. No hunting access anywhere for rough grouse. I've seen one roughed grouse here when I was doing a put and take pheasant hunt on some state property and it actually flushed not far from where I had seen a hen pheasant fly to and I fortunately realized that it was a rough grouse and 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 didn't sure. pull the trigger and then went back and told the folks at the office well I asked them first do you guys have rough grouse in the property and you know they said well we heard of people telling us that they're here but we haven't seen them here ourselves well, I've, I've seen one now, and I didn't shoot it. A unicorn. Well, yeah, exactly. A unicorn. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, we ran into kind of some of the same problems in Pennsylvania uh, where a friend and I hunted after we uh, met with you in Wisconsin. I had done a bunch of internet research and tried to find the be some of the best places yeah. in Pennsylvania to hunt rough grouse. Once we actually got on the ground, we heard a couple flush wild over the course of three and a half days of hunting reached out to some friends that hunt the Appalachian region and, and said, Hey, what am I doing wrong here? Feel like I'm doing everything right. I've heard a couple of birds flush wild, but we're just not seeing the birds that I thought we would get into. Even I know it's not going to be the UP or Northern Wisconsin, but I expected to get maybe one or two flushes an hour. And we just, we didn't have, that success they all said you're you're in the wrong part of the state so that was that was unfortunate but we yeah. still ran dogs for a bunch of days so all right next question rose i'm going to start with you so you don't get time to think on this one okay if you could only hunt one animal specifically one animal for the rest of your life what would it be Oof. quail bob white quail. bob white quail why good dog work and to be honest, that's probably the species are in Iowa that I've hunted the least because we don't have great populations here. I have to travel quite a bit, um, but I've got pointing dogs and there's nothing like watching the cubby rise over a bunch of pointing dogs. That's one of the things that we pointed out uh, last week was that it's it's hard, I think, to to say a strong cubby rise is better than a big rooster flush or a big rooster is better than a strong covey seeing 20 quail jump at the same time out of a single covey can be pretty exciting i think <laughs> but then watching 
a pterodactyl rooster flushed straight up with his tail just bent down and everything that i don't know i feel like that's that's pretty pretty exciting too i might be spoiled in that department so i kind of yearn for more quail i will tell you though i was pheasant hunting actually opening day here and was walking in on my puppy on a point bonnie you guys met her and i was certain that she probably had a hen pinned because the bird was holding so tight we were in a waterway with pretty short grass and a covey of Huns, Hungarian partridge, erupted. And I completely panicked, flock shot, luckily hit one. Um, but it was not what I was expecting. The adrenaline went through the roof. And I um, had very poor shooting on that one. It surprised me. I had not ever flushed Huns with a dog, especially on point, because they're a little spooky um, in Iowa. So it was that was my unicorn for the year. Was that your uh, with your new shotgun, too? No, it wasn't. Um, I wish I could say it was. I did kill a grouse with the new gun, though. Oh, that's good. So, and it was only shot I shot that whole day, and I dropped a grouse. So I was pretty excited about that. But it was batting a thousand then, huh? Yeah, <laughs> so far. <laughs> All right. So since you brought Not it up, so tell long. us about the new gun. Um, this is a little bit of a story, but about ten or twelve years ago, I was shopping at Shields, and I picked up an over/under that was on the in the used rack, it was on the floor. Um, if I remember correctly, it was about 900 bucks. I shouldered it and I thought, wow, is that what it's like to shoulder a gun that fits you? This thing is amazing. And I looked at the tag and I thought, 900 bucks, that's crazy. This is an old over under. And I Googled the gun and saw some for sale for 650. I thought, well, I'll just order one online. What I didn't realize is the ones. I saw online were 12 gauges and they had a different style stock. Um, I never saw one again until this summer. I was in the same shields. I don't know if it was the same gun. Now it was in a glass case up high where I couldn't reach it locked up. And I saw what it was I'd written down. It was an S it was a Beretta S 56 E 20 gauge single trigger. Cause I don't think I have the, Oh, mental fortitude for a double trigger, to be honest. <laughs> and I thought, oh, crap, I'm going to be broke. Well, it was twice as much <laughs> 10 years later. Um, I did end up bringing it home and it fits me perfectly. I love the gun. It's beautiful. Um, my understanding is that they were obviously built in Italy, but then this particular model was sold to U.S. servicemen in Germany and not very many made it back to the U.S., and most of the ones that were brought back were double trigger. So that's why I just haven't seen any around. And I would Google a few times a year, you know, on arms list or gun broker trying to find one. And they were always um, either way out of my budget or had been sold previously. So I felt like, yeah, I found a million bucks and went home, found a bunch of oh, guns that I wasn't using. I'd won a 22 at a banquet and... Um, a really nice uh, Henry um, silver pheasant. It was beautiful, but I'd never shoot it because it was too pretty. And I traded all that in and plus some cash and came home with a new gun. So. Right on. And it fits you right off the shelf. Yeah, I love it. Can't beat that. I love it. it kicks like a freaking mule, though. There's no pad on that thing. And um, I shot a few rounds of skeet trying to keep up with some of the officers at work and I beat myself up pretty good. So. It's a pretty light gun, too. It's very light, yeah. 
advantage it, in the Nebraska Sandhills when you're walking 15, 20 miles a day. Not so much if you're on the skate range. <laughs> it was brand new. I just had to shoot it, but I paid for it. <laughs> right on. All right, Chris. So you had some time to think about this one. One animal yep. for the rest of your life. Yeah, so that's that's really, really hard for me to answer. Uh, and, and like Rose, I I absolutely love hunting quail. Uh, I, lo- uh, I, I enjoy watching the dog work. And uh, this year, and you're talking about like a, you know, a whole covey busts loose. This year, every year I tried to turn someone new onto the outdoors, right? I tried that. It's a, it's a personal goal of mine. Take somebody that's never been in the woods and just get them turned on to it. Uh, this year, I, I work with a guy. He's from this area. and He's, he's hunted before uh, quite a bit, actually. And uh, he was talking about hunting quail when he was a kid. Like he said, you kick quail up everywhere. He said he hasn't seen a quail for 40 years. So I told him, I said, hey, hey, man, let's let me take you out and we'll run quail behind my dog. And he's OK. He's like, OK, all right, we'll go do that. And uh, I took him out. And uh, I mean, we weren't we weren't uh, 50 feet from the truck. And Max, that's my dog. He, he drops down low. And I'm like, all right, he's he's on something. I said, I said, he's on something right now, man. He's like, no, nah. he's like, he was, he was like kind of playing off. I'm like, Hey, he is on something. And Max started creeping real slow and he locked straight up. And I said, Hey man, he's on some birds, get ready. And uh wild quail around here, they don't hold very close. Uh, and sure enough, we took, we took a few steps and I bet there was about 25 birds in that covey just lifted up into the sky. They went into the sun. But I wasn't. I wasn't going to let him leave without a couple shots popped off. So I emptied both my barrels. I didn't hit anything. Uh, and I looked over at my buddy, and uh, he was standing there. His eyes were as big as quarters, and his <laughs> mouth was wide open. He's like, "Man, I haven't seen that in forty years." That's and, cool. Uh, and I was like, "Man, that's that's perfect." Uh, it was it was a great trip. He enjoyed it. Uh, Max is a little. It can be a little, little bit obnoxious, so. Uh, after that, Max was, uh, he, he, um, he was mad that we didn't shoot the birds. So, uh, <laughs> he, he, uh, it, it was, it was a fun day, but to answer your question, Bill, as much as I enjoy doing that, uh, I really enjoy whitetail deer hunting. Uh, I really enjoy doing that. Um, well, I'm well, sorry. That's all the time we have for today. Chris has to go at this point. <laughs> So, <laughs> I mean, like, I, it's uh, hard to choose because, like, I mean, I turkey hunt, I whitetail hunt, I shoot coyotes, I, I, I bird hunt. I mean, I, I've killed black bears, you know, like, like, I, you know, hunting feral pigs. I mean, I just enjoy being in the woods, and, and to pick one animal, uh, I, you know, whitetail deer is fun. I, I enjoy. I enjoy going out there and trying to outsmart them. And I'm not hunting on these like game preserves. This is public land deer that you're hunting. So, I mean, they're, they're not, it's not, you know, just shooting them underneath the feeder. Uh, you have to work for them. So we're uh, going to have to get you up here in Iowa. 
for some white-tailed deer. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I would <laughs> love legend, to. right? I, I I would love to. I I uh I really I really enjoy just I really just enjoy doing that. You and I used to bow hunt together a lot, or you know, a few hundred yards apart, but right. on the same property. We used to cut out from work maybe a little early some days, but before lunch. <laughs> I won't confirm or deny whether or not it was before lunch, but uh, we had pretty good access, I think, to a public property that a lot, a lot of people liked to use, particularly yeah. once the neighboring states' seasons opened up. Oh. There were plenty of of big deer in that property, oh. and I know I think we pulled at least one off of there every year. We each did. Oh, absolutely, yeah, and it's and it's not. Uh... With with public land hunting, you just gotta go to the places that are that are a little bit harder, a little bit further to walk, right? Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of uh, fair weather hunters out in the Absolutely. world that that want to park the truck and go 50 feet and, and shoot birds or or shoot deer. Uh, sometimes you gotta walk, you know, a mile back to a spot. Uh, and I'm lucky enough that you know that I'm still able to do that. I guess. Yeah. Excellent. That's a really good point. This spring, I had scouted some turkeys to take a coworker out for her first bird. And um, we went out the first day, saw some birds, um, actually called a hen in and gotten an argument with her, which is really cool for my coworker to see that from the blind. Mm-hmm. Um, the next day, unfortunately, she had a sick kid, so she wasn't able to join me. But I was on public ground in the second most populous county in our state. Some of the supposedly hardest hit areas nobody hunts it um late season because they think there's no chance and day two two toms walked into my decoys within 10 minutes and i had to walk to the back of the property and i you know shot one for myself i really really wish my coworker had been had have been with us because um how cool would that have been to get a double with her but just to know even in a highly pressured area, there's birds to be had really kind of hit that home for me. Um, you can't kill them if you're not out there. Nope, you so, can't kill them from the couch, right? Exactly. Exactly. And, and the killing is is the bonus, just being out. Yeah, sure. Just 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 the peace, the quiet, the ability to shut your mind down for a few minutes. Uh, you know, if you're running a dog and like just watching him uh, or her. Uh, run and, and the, they're learning their body language and stuff. You know, the first, you know, Max is my first bird dog, and watching, learning him and learning his body language, and and learning to trust him, right? Learning to trust his nose. And, you know, the first first bird he ever found, the first wild quail he ever found, like it was in a, um, it was in like a row of corn that just got left. And he'd been pointing meadow larks all day. And I'm like, <laughs> and we hit this thing. And I'm like, oh, geez, Max, come on. Uh, and I go up and like like six of them come busting out of there. And I, and I felt like a turd, right? I'm like, man, like, why why did I not, re- why was I not ready? Like, he was locked up solid, wasn't moving. Why was I not ready? What, you know? And then from that day forward, you know, I, I, every time he points, I trust it. There's, the dog, yeah. there's something cool. there. It might be a metal still. <laughs> <laughs> <Our> mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. 
So, you know, one thing I want to touch on real quick, it, one thing that you both had mentioned is bringing other people, non-hunters out to the field with you and exposing them to hunting and, and whether that's bird hunting, well, it's all bird hunting in this case, but if it's upland bird hunting or turkey hunting, duck hunting, you know, whatever that is, I think that's an obligation that we all have as hunters. And I want to commend you both for doing that. Are either of you familiar with the initiative 91 in Colorado right now? I'm not, no. Okay. Well, that's good. I'm, I'm really happy to discuss this. I'm not prepared to talk about it in detail, but what I can tell you is it's an initiative by anti-hunters to prevent hunting of mountain lions, bobcats, and lynx. What's interesting is you, you can't hunt lynx, at least not in, not in Colorado, right? It also prevents the use of e-collars on dogs and a host of other things. It's it's a full-spectrum attack on hunters. Unfortunately, since I don't think any of us are really hound hunters, we're not really cat hunters. And if you don't read deep into this initiative, you might not find any of the e-collar language. So the danger is that people like us might not really care. We're not in Colorado. We don't run hounds. We don't generally don't go out of our way to, to, you know, to hunt cats. So why do we care? Well, we care because if successful in Colorado against hound hunters and cat hunters, it's just going to migrate to another state. And who knows, maybe Georgia's next or Indiana or Iowa. There's a group called the Coloradans for Ethical Hunting. I screwed that up. I'll get it in the show notes and get it right. Um, they are the only group that's really leading the charge to make sure that this public ballot doesn't turn into legislation. I think they deserve all of our attention. And one way to do that is to take people that are not familiar with hunting or people that are non-hunters, maybe not anti-hunters, but that are non-hunters, and expose them to hunting culture or the hunting lifestyle, which is what you guys are doing. So I just wanted to come back and just, I really appreciate that. And if you have a chance, get a chance, you know, try to look up Initiative 91. Uh, Nick Adair just did a whole podcast on it just last week. I think it's episode 247 of Gundog It Yourself. If you have time, listen to that podcast. There's some really good information in there. And Meat Eater did a podcast about it maybe two or three weeks ago. So you can go back and, and look at that. Or if you listen to Meat Eater, obviously that's obviously a really good podcast as well. It's interesting you brought that up because um, obviously it's all important, but something that hits a little closer to home for those of us that have hunted the Northwoods. Um, there was a snafu with the wolf season up in Wisconsin, and I won't get into the politics or the details of that. Um, but some of the, I guess, result of that is that there's a push to not allow hunting with dogs on federal ground. And it's aimed at hound hunters that we're harvesting wolves, I believe. Um, but the impact will be not only on 
the bear seasons up there where they run hound on bears, but then also on the bird dog community that spends a ton of time in the woods chasing rough grouse and woodcock. And so obviously it's really important whether it's related to our side of things that are not, the bird dogs are not, but that's just an example of kind of an unfounded response um, that was supposed to be against houndsmen, um, but really the potential is there to hurt other hunters as well. So we need to stand up for the houndsmen too, um, because, you know, if it's not them, it's us. Absolutely. I, I want to build a big Venn diagram that has, you know, a whole bunch of circles with Hunter in the middle. And, you know, the surrounding circles say, you know, houndsman or, you know, coon hunter, squirrel, you know, duck, goose, deer, bear, you name it all the way around. But that one commonality in the center is the hunter. Mm-hmm. Maybe I can make it into a sticker or something. Or a t-shirt. A, t- a t-shirt. <laughs> would you buy that t-shirt? I would. I love t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Okay, we are almost through the lightning round, which means we've almost started the podcast. <laughs> All right. Uh, this one's going to go to Rose. Favorite wild game recipe? Wow. Um, I love to cook. I don't know if I have a favorite. Can I give you two? Sure. Okay. I'm, I'm going to cheat at this lightning round. My mentor at my first year at grouse camp made an apricot pheasant recipe that had some white raisins and cinnamon in it. And I didn't actually get the recipe from him, but I took home a mental note of the ingredients and it was pheasant, um, broth, the cinnamon, the white raisins maybe a few other things. I think some shallots. Um, his name is John Motovila. He has a cookbook. So I'm sure the recipe's in there if you're looking for it, but it is amazing. And it kind of plays off of the origin of the pheasant with a little bit of a, um, I don't know if you'd say an Asian kick, but uh, it's just, it's absolutely wonderful. And then there is a fried quail recipe in Hank Shaw's cookbook that has um some cayenne pepper in it and buttermilk. Mm. It's a buttermilk soak for the quail and then you fry it, pan fry it. It's awesome. It's terrible the next day. So you eat what you (laughs) make. Um, I tried to refrigerate some and eat it the next day. It was not good, but for those quail right after the hunt, if you can fry them up on the spot, uh, it's fantastic. So those are my two. Excellent. The first time I had quail was quail and eggs and it was a deep fried whole quail. Just absolutely delicious, super easy to eat and and easy to clean. If you can't clean a quail and cook it whole, I don't know if you belong in the kitchen at all, to be honest with you, but um, just I just thought of like three more recipes that I absolutely love. So this is a really tough question (laughs) for me. I just I can't narrow it down to just two. I had one for the hun and one for um, a sharp tail grouse. So I'm going to stop there, but just know that all of this game was absolutely delicious. Do you remember the name of the cookbook? I don't. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, we will John look that up. John works for Pheasants Forever in Wisconsin. Okay. And I'm sure that if you Google his name, John Motoviloff, the, the cookbook will come up. Right on. 
Okay. And Chris, you've had some time to think about it. Favorite wild game recipe? Yeah, like that. That was that's the easiest one. Like fried fried quail. I I absolutely love uh, fried quail, and uh, I I don't do them whole. So I uh, I take them, I breast them, and then I I take the thighs off of them. So they're it's all boneless except for the the little legs and the thighs. I do a pickle brine, and then. Let them soak in that for a little bit and then take them out of pickle brine with some uh, flour with some Cajun seasoning in it and then some seasoned egg wash and then some, uh, you know, some more flour and drop them in hot oil. That's my, my favorite. That's easy. That's an easy one. <laughs> that sounds delicious. Yeah, that's they they tear them up here. I'll come back with a bunch of quail and, and uh, there's none left. There's none left to that. Bill, I can't get past the lightning round without knowing what your favorite yeah. wild game recipe is. Oh, well, all right. That's that's an easy one. It's <laughs> not specific to upland birds necessarily because we've done this with everything. My wife makes a, an absolutely delicious dumpling stew. Oh. The cool thing about that is if I come, we well, okay, we've done it with pheasants, we've done it with chucker, we've done it with sharp tail, we've done it with rabbits, we've done it with squirrels, but the recipe doesn't need to change for any any white meat, pretty much. Now, is it brothy or is it creamy? It's, you know, she's done it both ways, and that doesn't really change much either. As okay. far as I know, she makes it, and it takes her about the same amount of time. The hardest part of the dumplings, um, mm-hmm. and it, it's amazing. When I so here in Indiana, we're not mecca for anything birds other than I will. I'll say we have a really really good turkey population. We get big turkeys here. They're smart. They're still turkeys. It's still turkey hunting's not easy, but it's. Not a destination hotspot for waterfowl. I sometimes kill more rabbits while I'm duck hunting than I do ducks. But I'll take what I can get. So what sometimes I'll... <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's a good mixed bag opportunity. My poodle pointer who's walking around out back here is a pretty darn good rabbit dog. And he'll find them right behind the duck blind sometimes and if I'm paying attention and they're in season, you better look out. Cool. So sometimes I'll come home from duck hunting with a rabbit or two, and then we'll be eating rabbit stew. I've given it to the uh, my neighbors who have grown up around here. They're a lot older than we are. And they've said that's the best stew that they've ever had. It's wow. Sarah's recipe. I wish I could describe it to you other than it's it's insert wild game meat here and dumplings love it so, love the versatility yeah, right on all right i looked up the i looked up the cookbook name so i don't know if you want to splice it in or oh true well just say it what is it just say okay the cookbook is wild rice goose and other dishes of the upper midwest i've heard of this before i believe that it has that apricot pheasant in it okay I'm sure that most people listening have heard of that one because I know I've heard of it. Okay, Rose. So Chris and I met you late this past uh, September 
at the Rough Grouse Society Grouse Camp. And we were assigned, assigned to you as new grouse hunters, and you were our mentor. So what made you decide to volunteer to be a mentor at the grouse camp? Yeah, I uh, I had participated the year prior and am somewhat of a beginning grouse hunter myself. Um, but I, I think as women, we think we need to know everything about something before we teach other people. And I've been hesitant to mentor others unless I was the expert. Um, and so I kind of pushed myself out of my comfort zone a little bit. I'd been grouse hunting a few times and I thought, you know, um, I might not be the most knowledgeable person in the Northwoods. I don't live anywhere near there. Um, but I've got a lot to share about bird dogs, about, you know, how to scout for birds and stuff like that. And so I thought I could probably offer my knowledge up to somebody. I know they were short on mentors. So I was a last minute ad. I think I was the last mentor signed up. Um, my original plan was actually to go west and hunt in Nebraska, and it was really hot. So when they made a call for mentors, I thought, well, let's go north. It's cooler up there, and maybe we can meet some neat people. And um, you didn't get a rock star guide, um, but I hope you guys learned a lot and had a good experience. I think, I think I, you're uh, selling yourself short there. You uh, made me nervous when you said your goal is for both of you to shoot a bird. I thought, oh boy. Well, you definitely um, gave us the opportunity a lot of miles with the without shooting yeah. birds. So, oh no, it was great. Because well, I can tell you, that, like that immediately, like when we were done, we we had a few minutes left. Like we employed what you taught us, and uh, we found some right away. And that's so the best part. I was so happy to hear. That you guys got into birds after I headed home. That is so cool. And yeah, I hope so. that you're able to come back north and hunt more because that's what it's all about. Um the yeah, so woods don't, are... don't sell yourself short, is what I'm saying. Like you didn't Oh yeah, no, like... you're fine. <laughs> I just wanted to point out that you know it's you don't have to be a lifelong hunter that knows everything about a species to share something with your friends. Um I'm guilty of a lot of the times, even turkey hunting. I'm not that great of a turkey hunter. So I was kind of nervous to take my coworker out and she loved it. Um, we saw some birds and even if we hadn't, we listened to pheasants crow all morning. You know, we had a nice walk in the wildlife area. And so I think that's something that I've shared more and more with my peers is that you, you can take folks out and learn together. You don't have to be this like high end guide that, you know, puts, puts people right on the, I think it's actually better to work for. It's more rewarding to work for. So. I do agree with that. And I think yeah. you just have to know a little bit more than the person that you're mentoring and the, or the person that you're introducing to hunting and you have to yeah. provide them a positive experience. And even if that means you don't harvest any game that day, if you have fun doing it, you're likely to come back, I think. Yeah. And, and and I think I think that positive attitude uh, needs to be for the mentee as well, right? Like they have to be willing to learn, they have to be willing to absorb the information and understand that like not it's not killing. You're hunting. Yeah. You're working. And willing to brush bust or I yeah. can't even talk bust brush, right? Yeah. I I took you guys through some nasty stuff, mm -hmm. and you were good sports. 
And, uh, I mean, yeah, that was some big stuff. Like, <laughs> it was like crawling through that stuff. <laughs> that's grouse hunting, man. Yeah, when you look Love back it. and the dogs are like, nah, man, that's thick. <laughs> I ain't going in there. <laughs> well, so, and, um, and ultimately, we did find birds, and arguably, in the same cover that we had hunted that morning, it was it was the same terrain. It was the same vegetation. It was just across the trail. Sure. So pick one and side over of your the road. own dogs. That's awesome. Right. That's awesome. Um, I couldn't have wished any more for you guys. And you really um, stuck in there through the rain. I remember you asking if I would be hunting if I weren't mentoring you guys. And I said, no. Hell no. <laughs> I'd be back at the campground hiding out from the rain because it was just pouring on us. Um, but looking back, how cool is that to be able to look back on that? That's pretty neat. I'll never forget that. I, I think it was a <laughs> it was a great experience. I've been in worse conditions out in the woods once or twice in my life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Those make the best stories though, right? Like when everything's oh, perfect, sure. it's like how was it? It was great. It was perfect. But you remember the stories when your boots were wet and you were freezing and you were cold and, and you're out of water and you got a long ways to go back. And those are the stories you remember. Yeah, for sure. Maybe not to do it again. Right? <laughs> <laughs> now, Chris and I were able to go back to the house that we had rented in town and we were, you know, we were able to take a hot shower, do some laundry get dry and warm and then we found out that rose was sleeping in the bed of her truck underneath her huge is it a six hole or an eight hole over the rails uh, yeah, dog box? three but i think you could fit 300 pound labs in each hole that's um, a big box for three holes it's a big box yeah and that was my first big trip I think sleeping under there, if I remember right. And maybe I'd done one before, uh, but I'd not been in the rain before. So I had to make a few corrections. After that, I had a little leak at oh, the back end you? where it was raining in there a little bit. So, um, but it's all good. I like being able to um, know what's going on with my dogs. And I have, I had four dogs with me. Um, so it's kind of an ordeal to get them into in and out of a hotel room and keep them quiet and all of that jazz. So um, it works pretty slick to sleep under that box, but the rain, it made it a little hard to dry out my clothes. Luckily, we had access to uh, the camp facilities there, so I was able to hang my boots and um, my pants and stuff like that inside overnight so that they could dry out. On a, a subsequent trip that I took later in the fall, just by myself, I had the two dogs in my in my Tacoma. And we went, we hunted two days in Kansas, three days, I think, in North Dakota, came back, hit up Iowa for a day, northeastern Iowa, Makokota, and then came back down into Indiana, and we slept in, in my tent. Well, so funny story, I bought a new cot on the way out, but it didn't fit in the tent that I brought. Oh, so no. I ended up sleeping underneath my tarp every night that I slept out in the in the field I had great weather so I, I did did just fine with that and I've got a big tarp that goes right over the the bed of my truck but I've figured after 
spending 25 years in the army and sleeping on the ground way more than anybody should have to. I'm, I'm done sleeping on the ground. I'm sleeping on this cot, whether I'm in a tent or not, I don't care anymore. So I used that cot every night and stayed good and comfortable and slept great. Had the dogs right next to me in their crates outside. We had coyotes going by, especially in Kansas, almost every night. The dogs will keep them away. Oh, I'm not, <laughs> they're just coyotes anyway. Yeah. But, um, but I was pretty impressed that you were sleeping in the bed of your truck while Chris and I were being big sissies in, a, in, a, in an Airbnb <laughs> in town. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, I've been like nonchalantly shopping for campers. <laughs> so I'm not sure. I might have one more year in the bed of the truck, but I'm starting to think that I'm getting old enough. I need some creature comforts. Oh, that's funny. So th <laughs> this was your second time at grouse camp? Yes, it was. Yeah. So what do you think about the camp overall? It's a really good experience. Um, the first year I brought a friend up with me um, and we hunted together. She had never, she had hunted over waterfowl dogs, but had never been in the woods. And I don't think she'd ever seen pointing dogs work. So she was kind of new to that side of hunting. Um, and I brought her up as a learning experience to kind of expose her to that kind of stuff. And then I had hunted a little bit in the Northwoods, but really wanted more um, data and science behind what I was doing. So that was a really neat opportunity to hear from the biologists and hear from the people doing the management in the woods of what they look for when they're looking for habitat. And then the second year I came back, yeah, as a mentor. So that was a completely different experience. Um, but both times it was worth the trip. I had quite a bit of a drive, not nearly as far as you guys, but it's probably, I don't know if it's eight hours up there from where I live. So it's a commitment, but uh, I already have it on my calendar for next year. So. Oh, right on. Yeah. Right on. Chris and I have talked about heading up that way. Don't know if we'll get to the RGS grouse camp or if we're going to try and do something on our own, but the Northwoods is going to be a destination for the fall i think for the both sure. of us so if you're not headed for the grouse camp i would consider a couple weeks later once some of the leaves drop because you've had the experience in the really thick woods where you can't see anything and it is even i came back two weeks later it's a totally different hunt oh, wow. um, you can see your dogs a little bit more i mean it's still thick for us prairie people um but it's it's a totally different ball game and you might even hit the big woodcock migration so keep that in mind now i'm not saying skip grouse camp but uh, but if it works in your schedule to come i'll be like, up there a few weeks after that i'll promise you that when you're grouse hunting are woodcock a consolation prize for you or do you consider that more of like the bonus I don't think I'd call it a constellation or consolation prize. If I have young dogs, woodcock are awesome mm -hmm. because they hold tight and your dogs can learn really quick. I think my older dogs get a little pushy because they hold so tight and then they might bump some grouse. And that is a uh, result of just not spending a ton of time in the woods. You know, we go up twice a year. The rest of the time they're on the prairie. So 
it's a little bit different dog work, but for young dogs, Woodcock are awesome. So the last two years I've had young dogs with me. Um, and I've actually spent days specifically targeting Woodcock because of that. Uh, and when you get into them, it's awesome. It's crazy. You know, just point, point, point. It's just uh, unbelievable. And for a table fair, I eat them. Um, I like them. I don't know that they're of the quality of a rough grouse. I think if I were hungry, I'd try for the rough grouse first. Uh, but I don't know that I'd call it a, a consolation prize, if that makes sense. No, I understand. Um, I think for me, it's, both, they're a bonus. And woodcock are so, so cool. I mean, the they're breeding dance. They're, they're just really neat birds. So they both have their place. Um, I, I say I love them both. I actually bought a sweatshirt from Rough Grouse Society that I wear everywhere that has a woodcock on it. And it says, I'm just here for the doodle dance. <laughs> and people love it. Nobody knows what it's about down here, but everybody asks about it and says, oh, I need to buy one of those. That's awesome. So kudos to RGS for coming out with some cheeky clothing. It's awesome. Right on. Hey, Chris, what was your favorite part of the grouse camp? Favorite part. So, uh, and don't take this wrong, Rose, but when when you and I, Bill, we and we we went out by ourselves, right? Yeah. And, and we and we and we, you know, we took we took all all those lessons, right? Like we took the lessons up from the the biologist talking about the habitat, right? You know, look for old forest and new forest. You know, look for look for all these things and uh you know when we did that and then took what we learned and then we did it and we did an application by ourselves uh that that was probably uh the most rewarding part and then finding what I was like a woodcock and two grouse or something like that I think so yeah what and we only hunted for another hour and a half two hours maybe it was real quick because we had we had a drive too. We had a long drive all the way back down. So that was, you know, that 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 was probably the best part. Just putting everything, uh, all that stuff from the the weekend into application. That was that was pretty good. And I think I love it. A a good thing to mention about that is that we couldn't have done that without the time. You know, kind of that almost like one on one time with Rose. Without the you know. Rouse and Woodcock 101 seminar um, and without talking to, you know, other people over, over dinner and drinks. So, yeah, I, I think their, their um, approach to it was really good. Excuse me. The, uh, the morning hunt and then the lectures, right? So like if you're, if you're a brand new person walking into grouse hunting or screw or woodcock hunting, uh, like you don't know what questions to ask. You don't know what to look for. So you by getting thrown right into it and like, okay, look, now I see what this woods are. Now I see what how this thing is. And then you get a, a bunch of lectures on it. And then the next day you start applying the lectures, the previous experience, the questions that you've asked, and, and that that uh so the structure of the of the the camp was was really, really good. I mean, up up until then, uh you know, I'm from West Virginia originally, and there's grouse in the Appalachian Mountains in West Virginia. 
up until then, like I'd shoot grouse, but I mean, it wasn't with a dog. It was, mm-hmm. you know, oh, look, there's a grouse on the tree branch. Right? Let's shoot it because they taste delicious. Uh, and, and we'd shoot them. Uh, so, I mean, I've killed them before, but never, never worked for them. Like never went hunting for grouse. Like mm-hmm. it was like, oh, there's a grouse. Let's shoot it. Uh, kind of thing. I've heard some people say that's the difference between grouse hunting and partridge hunting. In Maine, they hunt partridge and they always road hunt and shoot them on the ground, shoot them out of the roost. And in the Northwoods, we like to get on the ground with the dogs and try and target them and and find them a little bit more deliberately. Yeah, I, I would do it again in a heartbeat. But it's a long ways from Georgia, man. (laughs) <laughs> that's the truth goodness <laughs> i like the i like the format of kind of getting your feet wet like you said chris and then getting some information because um i was lucky the very first time i came up grouse hunting i had some friends through the dog business um they had used the same um trainers friends with the same trainers that i am and we got hooked up together that way and they were able to kind of give me that basic intro because to be frank i would have been a liability in the woods by myself being an iowa girl not growing up in the woods i probably would have gotten myself lost if i hadn't had that very first step of somebody saying you know run your onyx run your gps you know pay attention if you drop a bird and you start circling all of a sudden, everything looks the same. I'm used to being able to see the horizon. And um, so pairing you with somebody that has spent a little bit of time in the woods and can kind of help you get your bearings along with the habitat lesson, I think is really important to make sure that, you know, we don't become a a burden and have to send our friends out looking for us. Um, All of my longtime grouse hunting friends have stories about getting lost, some of them for days. And uh, luckily, that's never happened to me, but I'm a little paranoid about it now. I'm very careful up there because it's not oh, second nature for me to be in the woods. But the, the swamps down here in Georgia are like that. Like, there's are no they? horizon. Yeah. You can't see anything. It's thick. It's muddy. And I have made that mistake. Went out and uh, looking for hogs and stopped to use the bathroom. And it was two of us. And we faced opposite ways. And then we turned, like, we're just going to walk back. Well, when we stopped and we turned our backs towards each other, we lost where back was at. Mm-hmm. Eight hours later, they're coming to get us in the truck, right? Like, it's... Yeah. It's, wow. Uh, so, I, that lesson of uh, taking the GPS with me because your phone loses signal. Mm-hmm. When I go into a place that I don't have a map, I, I drop a, here's the truck on the GPS, and then away I go. Last week, I was talking to Michelle from Brushdale Kennels and, and Brushdale Hunting Preserve. She's got about 300 acres of put-and-take pheasant land. That's It's kind of rolling terrain. It's not your typical flat, rectangular field put-and-take preserve. And she mentioned that hunters get lost on her property all the time. And she started oh. le- um, giving them maps of the property where the pheasants were released and other <laughs> things, um, you know, phone number to call in case you do get lost and, and things like that. 
one of the uh, one of the jokes was that she should start putting out the pavilions with the area map on it with the X saying you are here. <laughs> it, it's a nice that. property for I'll tell you for a preserve. It's a it's a really really beautiful property. So, um, Chris, what do you, what's the biggest thing that you learned from Grouse Camp? Probably like finding grouse right like what to look for you know when we walked into that one spot um on the right after the rainstorm the, the second spot we went to and we came down the hill and it was a big open field if you guys remember uh right right where we found the woodcock at like to me like that that looks like a, a place to hunt birds right like it's a big open grassy field like that's where i would um, but that's not where you find grouse at right like <laughs> like that's not where we found the grouse so so how to find the grouse in the woods and and uh what to look for and signs like that and the woodcock too right uh, we were finding signs of the woodcock uh where, where they had been standing and things so uh yeah that was i learned a lot like that unfortunately i have to go to northern georgia to, to find grouse here and it's hard to find them so it's hard work and it's big hills I hunted a couple weeks later in some pretty hard rain again, um, <laughs> which I know I said that I wouldn't be out in the rain, but here I was uh, with my friend Carly and my friend Scott. And I realized when I took my hood down that there were grouse flushing and we weren't hearing them because of the rain. So I almost wonder if we were flushing grouse and didn't know it because it was so loud in the woods and the cover, there were so much, so many leaves on. And then the advantage that I had two weeks later was that some of the leaves had dropped. So it wasn't quite as loud, but I was hunting with somebody that has hunted grouse. I don't know his whole life. Um, and then another hunter and neither one of them were hearing the flushes because they had their hoods up and I had taken mine down and it made all the difference. So um, just something to think about, you know, I know that, we thought at the first sight that we didn't flush anything, but that we I'd say there was probably about 15 of them now that you mentioned that. You never know. <laughs> and I turned to my friend Scott and I said, there's birds over there. Yeah. I said, we're not hearing them. Um that's a good point. And they were jumpy enough that the dogs weren't stopping. They weren't getting solid points on them. Um, but that made me think back to our hunt. And how hard it was raining, and we were kind of set up for some trouble there, I think. So, now, so Rose, that was your second grouse camp. What did you learn from doing it, either for, just from doing it as a mentor, or maybe from some of the mentor specific seminars? Um, I really enjoyed the seminar with the vet from Purina. Mm -hmm. uh, and she talked about her short hairs and how long livid they are. Um, and somebody had asked the question, why? Because I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but she had multiple short hairs in her home that were 14, 15, 16, um, you know, dogs that are living a long time. And I've, I've had one um, that I lost a couple of years ago that was 14 and he was still in pretty good shape. But, you know, as a whole, I'd love for all of my dogs to live that long. And she said to keep them skinnier than you're comfortable with. Um, and that the weight 
really makes a difference. And I, that's probably not the only reason maybe living with a vet makes all the difference <laughs> because she's more in tune with any other health issues. Um, but I took that home. I have one dog that typically is a little heavy. Um, and I brought her home and took some weight off of her and she hunted a lot better the rest of the season. And it wasn't much, um, but it did make a difference in her endurance. And to be honest, she looks too skinny to me um, because I'm used to seeing dogs where you can just barely see their ribs. Um, but she was in a lot better shape the remainder of the season because of that. So that was a big one that affected how I hunt here in Iowa. Um, the other thing was that I can do it. Like it seems silly, but um, I wasn't sure that I knew enough to be a mentor in the woods to share that with others. And I think even though you guys didn't harvest birds when we went out, um, you had a good time, you learned stuff, um, and that I can help get more people in the woods just by sharing what people have taught me and I can give back because there's folks that have invested so much time um, teaching me about outdoors because I didn't grow up hunting. Um, so now it's my turn to share those things with other people so right on right on that's i have to do that with my dog i i, I need to get some weight off of him uh, Ma yeah. max is, max is a big boy he's like 70 pounds uh and like yeah, I, I need to trim some weight off of <laughs> i wish but, somebody would do that to me <laughs> yeah I, like, half a cup today. i would get mad i would get mad if somebody took food off my plate like, like <laughs> what, do, what do you think you're doing i mean I, yeah. and, and i'm i'm horrible about it right like i'll sit there and i'll have a snack and he'll come up and he'll just like lay your his head on your lap and look up at you with the sun and he's like it's like all right man, you can have some too <laughs> you're like i love you too yeah it's like i'm bad about it you know the kids yeah. do it everybody does it he's he's not dumb my dogs are always in great shape. I'm usually the one that's slowing everybody down. And, but I know it, you know, when I'm 10 or 15 pounds lighter, I feel a lot better. I can move faster and farther and, you know, I can leap tall buildings in a single bound, but not so much in my current shape. So the longevity perspective that uh, Dr. Ruth Ann Lobos brought up during the seminar by having your dogs be in good shape all the time makes perfect sense yeah and it didn't take much to make the difference um it's not like i had a ruby dog that you could count all our vertebrae in her back or anything like that it wasn't it was almost um something your average person wouldn't even notice uh but in the heat that dog was so much better off uh, just being a little bit lighter so um, I'm going to take that lesson home and maybe apply it to myself too. <laughs> <laughs> Get Excellent. my heat endurance up. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Now, Chris, you won a raffle while we were there, right? I did. Yeah. Did you, have you cashed in yet? Well, what did you win? So I got a $200 gift certificate to Pike gear. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I cashed it in probably within four days of coming back. Okay. Uh, I'm bad with gift cards and gift certificates. If I don't use them right away, I'll stick them on a bulletin board and I'll forget about them. Right. Like ah. I just, I just forget about it. Um, and now if it was cash money, I wouldn't forget, but gift cards, <laughs> and gift certificates, I, I, I'll forget. So I, I made a point to cash it right away. Uh, 
the I got the the pipe pants. I don't, I don't remember which model they were. Uh, it cost a little bit more than my gift certificate, so I put a little couple extra bucks in there. Um, Material is nice on them, like the like uh, they're um, you know it's real technical fabric, like stretches and moves and breathes and stuff. It's good because uh, quail comes in like November here. Uh, it's still mm. warm in Georgia in November, so like those the pants are still nice to move around in and stuff. Um, I have for me like I have large quads and. They, they're a little snug in the leg for me. Uh, my Duluth fire hose pants, the briar pants, are probably still my favorite hunting pants, though. Ah. I, I, I love them, man. They're, they're 70 bucks. <laughs> you know, like uh, those are probably my favorite hunting pants uh, for, for birds. But the, the pike pants are really, really good and really comfortable. And, and uh, they're definitely not as warm as the, uh, the Duluth pants, which is nice in Georgia. So. This episode brought to you by Duluth Trading Company. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my eye on that Pike Rain jacket, that Blaze jacket. I've heard great things about it. Mm-hmm. It's a little out of my price range, considering I don't like to hunt in the rain, but maybe it's time. I looked at that jacket because <laughs> I need a good rain jacket too, right? I'm like, man, like that's a nice jacket. Yeah. Honestly. If it's just for a little rainy, I don't. I'm a terrible outdoors woman. I wear a hoodie, cotton hoodie. Yep. I think that's what I wore with you guys, and then I just take it off once it's soaked soaked through. And I'm not. I, I don't know. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's I'm what sure I have. That... just a sweat, a zip up sweatshirt with a like a nylon shoulder pads. You know, like. Yeah, there's something and, to all the technical gear. I'm evolving slowly. So one of these days, I'll be able to tell you how amazing a nice rain jacket is. But so far, I haven't <laughs> pulled the pulled the trigger on that. Well, I'll tell you that day, I was wearing a really nice Patagonia rain jacket, and I was soaked. So I, oh, I don't okay. think <laughs> any amount of wet weather protection was going to help us in that amount of rain in that vegetation I think yeah. you're getting wet. It doesn't matter what, maybe a dry suit would have worked. I don't yeah, know. Yeah. yeah. You just got to, you got to commit to it. You just got to be committed <laughs> to it. It's going to happen. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I was, I was really happy that they sponsored the the event and I was, it was, it was really nice to, to win the raffle. Uh, and, and I, and I do like the pants. I do like the pants. So. I'll put in a plug for Pike. I have their uh, holster for my Garmin. Mm. and it is attached to the waistband on my strap vest and it holds the Garmin um, screen in so it's not getting hit by trees and brush and all that jazz It protects it and I've heard that this year's is an even an upgrade from the one that I have um and I balked at the price I don't know if it was 50 bucks or 60 bucks when I bought it but I that thing is worth every penny so um it's a molded case for the Garmin, and it hasn't failed me yet. It's a lot better than replacing the screen. Yeah, or worse, losing the dang Garmin. Yep. So um, you all know I, what we spend on those things, so <laughs> keep that. Yeah, I, I tell you, I did learn that up there, too, right? So down here, I don't have to run a, a GPS on my dog, right? Like, uh, he works medium distance to long, but... I keep track of him pretty well. 
I can see sure. him the time. But he's brown. He's a Vizsla. And up there in those woods, I couldn't. I, I wouldn't be able to see him 10 foot from me. Yeah. Like, I just wouldn't be able to do it. So if I ever went up there and did it again, I would have to invest in the garment to track him around. And so I didn't get lost. <laughs> right. <laughs> Most importantly. <laughs> right. So we both could leave the woods that night. So, Chris, do you feel like you could go hunt grouse on your own with what we learned at camp? You know, I tell my kids all the time, you can do anything once. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think we could. I think. Uh, um, I mean, I would still be amateur with grouse hunting over dogs and stuff. Naturally, uh, it would be a new experience. But, yeah, I think. Uh, if 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 I had to, or if I wanted to, I could uh, I could go up and 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 find some grouse. I planned on doing that here in Georgia this year, uh, going up to the mountains to see if I could find some. But you know, work and everything else, all the other things come into play, and I just never made it out there. I think it's a lot different. I think the Appalachian rough grouse hunting is a lot different than the Northwoods rough grouse hunting. I know elevation plays yeah, a big Steve. role yep um i think they've had some challenges i know in in pennsylvania they had some challenges with avian bird flu affecting the rough grouse population if you're finding ticks you're probably not going to find gr uh, grouse if you're finding mosquitoes you're probably not going to find grouse is what i was told we had to try and stay above 2200 feet which was not easy where we were hunting a lot of a lot of the elevation was down around twelve to fifteen hundred feet, looking for those ridge lines that kind of stayed above above mm -hmm. two thousand and you know maybe over twenty two hundred. Even even up there, we were still finding mosquitoes and ticks like crazy, and not a whole lot of birds. I don't. I think you have kind of the same experience in the Southern Appalachians that that we would have in you know up north. Yeah. Next year, I'll try to get on. Right on. All right, Rose. So tell us about the rest of your hunting season in Iowa. Yeah, we had a pretty good season. Um, opening, I'm going to tell you about opening day because it was magical. So I had a pretty busy week at work. We put on a fly fishing, some a three-day fly fishing seminar, and then I had some other events after that. Um, and I, to be honest, was a little burned out and I knew the hunting was going to be good. And I should probably invite some buddies to come out because I've got a really nice farm behind my house. But at the last minute I said, you know what, I'm just going to go out with the dogs and spend some time on my own. A little selfish of me. Um, but to make it challenging, I told myself I was going to shoot a rooster over each dog's point individually. And, all in the same day. Um, all in the same day. And I, this is going to take a minute, so bear with me, but this is like the most magical story. I'll, I will never forget it. Um, it was cold. It's very often not cold on opening day. We had a big front come through. I knew it was going to be good. Um, and I took my dogs. At the time, I only had three short hair. So I've since added a young short hair number four, but at the time I just had the three and I took my oldest dog out first with, so Sawyer, uh, with Emmy. And we started walking up a filter strip 
not not it's within a mile of my house, so not too far from home. And eight minutes in, I had killed a rooster over Sawyer's Point and Emmy's back. Nice. I thought, well, this is off to a pretty good start. Yeah. <laughs> so like six minutes after that, Emmy goes on point. I called Sawyer in for an honor and killed another rooster, one shot each bird. So it wasn't, you know, 20 minutes into my day, it's not even 8.30 in the morning, and I've got two roosters in the bag, two shots, and I thought, I might be able to get that puppy a bird. So <laughs> to my older dog's disbelief, 30 minutes in, I go back and load them up in the truck and go get the puppy. And they <laughs> thought, this is bull crap because they hardly got to hunt. Yeah, we're never um, doing that I really, <laughs> I really wanted to give Bonnie a chance. And so I got Bonnie out and um, not very far into the property. And maybe it was, I don't know, 30 minutes later was when we were in the waterway and she went on point. And I thought for sure it was a hen uh, because the grass was so short and it was holding so tight. And I was walking in behind her. I actually had my phone in my hand taking a video of her because she looked so awesome. And this dog's, you know, just a baby. Um, so here I am holding the phone in a covey of huns, which I've never, I've seen huns in Iowa, but I've never had them, had a dog point them, gets up in front of me. And I just, as I dropped the phone, flock shot, it was like, hope it's embarrassing that I did that. Um, but luckily I knocked one down and she retrieved it. And that was so cool. So in, the first hour, not even, I had three birds over three points, which is more than you can ever ask for. Um, and she stood those birds um, until they flushed. She's, she wasn't broke yet. So that was just what an experience. But here I am wanting more. So I'm like, well, certainly I could shoot a rooster over and fill my limit, right? I missed two birds over points with her. <laughs> <laughs> Ran out of shells because I didn't carry that many to begin with <laughs> and kind of went back to the truck with my tail between my legs thinking, oh, I'm an idiot. What was I thinking? Only taking a handful of shells out here. Um, disappointed in the moment, but what a cool day that was. I will never forget it. So I have a picture of my three dogs with their three birds and they look grumpy as heck. Because they really didn't get to, well, the older dogs hardly got to hunt. And then the puppy was not wanting to sit still. So the picture is not even that good. But I'll never forget that day. Um, it was really cool. What a great the experience. The season went, went great. Uh, we had a ladies learn to hunt event in December. And we were able to take about a dozen women out pheasant hunting. Um, claim to fame, this gal is going to be sick of me saying this. But she had such a good time. She went out and bought herself a bird dog. Yeah. Really? Yeah. And that's what it's all about, right? It's sharing right this passion, this addiction. Uh, I never would have gotten into this except somebody gave me a bird dog. And so to be able to share that with others is so cool. So that's my spiel. Let's take people to the field because you might change their lives. Um, yep. It's pretty cool. Well, and you've got a great job. So you work for the Iowa DNR, right? I do. Yeah. I've been here about a year. I spent most of my career working for um, or doing water quality work, working with farmers um, to help put water quality practices, habitat 
um, on their farms and help with some of the water concerns we have in Iowa. And then about a year ago, I read an ad about a job that you get to teach people how to hunt and fish. And I thought, that is so cool. That's right up my alley. Never thought that I would end up with a job, but applied. And how neat has that been to now get paid to share, you know, my love, my love of the outdoors. So I do um, a lot of the train the trainers. So I train our hunter ed, volunteer hunter ed instructors, some of our um, archery instructors, our Fish Iowa um, instructors, so that they can then share those skills with people all across the state. Um, and that's probably the bulk of the work. But then I also get to play in these really cool learn to hunt and learn to fish events. Um, and it's been awesome. So what does Iowa DNR have coming up for new hunters this spring? Um, let's see. Can I talk about fishing too? Absolutely. Okay. So I'm going to just talk about what's coming right up. This weekend, we have our archery, national archery in the schools program state. I love shoot. that program. We have 2,000 archers shooting in the bullseye competition. And wow. 800 and some in the 3D. So that'll be a three-day competition this weekend in Des Moines at the state fairgrounds. And if you've never seen 100 kids shooting at the same time, man, it is a sight to see. It's $5 to get in. So um, we love to invite people to come watch, even if they don't have students or kids competing. But well, And NASP uh, is really... always looking for volunteers. I've volunteered at a few different NASP events before. They're looking for uh, safeties and scorekeepers and anything that any responsible adult could do right yeah. there on the line with the young archers. It is an easy job to go and volunteer for a few hours and have an impact on these little kids. And they are awesome. You know, it's a mind game and watching them be so professional and so precise it's it's really incredible i wish that we would have had an opportunity like that when i was in school so we're happy to bring everybody to the fairgrounds and they're competing for quite a few scholarships and top prizes so we're excited about that um on march 30th in my area we're having a learn to turkey hunt seminar and then we're going to help people pattern their shotguns to get ready for turkey season so that'll be near amana iowa on march 30th um, one of my favorite events is coming up in april it's the becoming an outdoors woman camp and so we have 100 women coming from many states uh, mostly iowa but and surrounding states to participate in this three-day camp where they can try different outdoor skills uh, we have a mentored turkey hunt, so I believe there's 10 women participating in the mentored hunt. Um, I'll be teaching the intro to firearms, the intro to shotgunning, and a little bit of fly fishing, and then some firearm cleaning in the evening. So I've got a few courses there, but there's everything from a mushroom foray to basket weaving, basic fishing. Uh, you can pick from all different skills. So we're really excited to share that with women in Iowa. And then we're straight into fishing season. So our free fishing weekend is this year. It'll be the second weekend in June. So you can come fish. 
uh, without needing to buy a license and see if that's up your alley. And we've got a lot of events all over the state for that. So that's just the beginning of the year. Uh, all kinds of stuff going on here wow. in Iowa. That's cool. You know, I, I see what you're doing. I see your posts on social media. I share them, even though we're in Indiana, I share them with my wife all the time. And she tells me all, she says, I need to reach out to her because she's interested in learning how to fly fish. Oh, very cool. Send Rose a friend request. She'll recognize a last name. You'll be fine. And then go to Iowa for a weekend. And, you know, when they're running one of these events and go learn how to fly fish. So hopefully. So last, last October, we had 12 women spend three days in Northeast Iowa in the, what we call the Driftless region. And it's an unglaciated area that has a lot of cool, cool water streams. So we have some um, trout stocking that goes on up there and then some naturally reproducing populations. Mm -hmm. And these gals learned about insects. They learned about reading a stream. And then they spent quite a bit of time out fishing. And it was awesome. It was so cool. The colors were primed. The landscape is beautiful. So make that pitch. I, I will continue to drive that one home. I actually, on our way back from North Dakota, we stayed in a small motel in northeastern Iowa, just on the Iowa side of the Minnesota border. I will not say the name of the motel because it was a horrible, absolutely horrible experience, but it was <laughs> oh, full no. of fishermen. I was the only bird hunter in you know staying in in the hotel all of the or in the motel all of the other maybe five or six rooms were were all fishermen all getting up early the next morning to get out and get their flies wet very cool yeah i've kind of thought man maybe i should have brought a fishing pole you'll have to tell me the hotel offline so i make a note not to go there it's a pretty it's a pretty funny story I'm not usually one to leave reviews on much of anything. Oh no! I, I think I went out of my way to leave several bad reviews about <laughs> about this hotel. Um, it's a it is a funny story. We'll talk about it after. Um, so, uh, Chris, do you have plans for the spring? Besides, I mean, we all know turkey season's coming up. That's a no brainer. Yeah. What I want to know is what you're going to do with Max for the spring. It's hard for me to keep Max on birds because I live in an HOA and uh, they they really don't like keeping birds in my backyard. So I don't really get to do much of that. Uh, we do, um, and he'll get his daily walks and his exercises and, and things like that. Uh, but we usually get up in the mornings on, on Saturdays and we go and we'll do a lot of bumper retrieves. And um, we're pretty close to one of the largest lakes in Georgia down here. So uh, we go down there, and he abs- he loves the water. Like as soon as I crack the door, like straight <laughs> the water. Like he, he love it. And he'll yeah he'll stand in the water, wait for me to throw his bumper or his ball or whatever. Um, and uh, so we'll do we'll do that and keep him in shape. He uh he has to stay busy. He has to have always something to do, right? Like he he's just full of energy, or he's causing ruckus. Mouse. Although it's his bedtime right now, yeah, as you can probably see in the video here, he's racked out. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Well, yeah, for us, you know, besides turkey season, we just finished up getting uh, Lady Skeet here ready to be bred in her next heat. So we finished up 
our confirmation evaluation, and she scored well. She scored five V one evaluations, which is the highest evaluation for confirmation that you can get. So she earned an international champion title. We're very excited for that. Um, and from here, it's just a matter of working on UT tasks. We are gonna we're gonna focus on duck search really hard this spring. Try and get that done so then we can work on reining everything back in, getting her steady and backing for for the field work for UT. You know, she just turned two. I don't think I'm going to test her this year, but definitely next year. We're, we're going to take the whole spring and summer to focus on those UT tasks. And then we're going to start hunting in the fall and she, well, she's going to have puppies in the fall too, most likely. And we're probably going to lose a lot of what we gained, but that's okay because, you know, these are smart dogs and she'll pick it up quickly once we start doing it again. And and we've talked about this before and I, and I probably should look into like a NAFTA chapter or some kind of chapter around here to, to take Max to run those events. Not necessarily because I don't care if somebody scores my dog, uh, you know, a champion or whatever. That's not important to me, right? He's he's my dog. He's my pet. He's my friend, right? Like, like all that's more important to me uh, than if somebody puts a ribbon around his neck and say he's a grand champion. But the benefits of those things go beyond the 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 ribbon, right? Like the the tasks keep him focused and stuff. So I should, I should probably look at uh, a local chapter someplace around and, and get him involved in, in that. Uh, it'll be, it'll be just, it'd be good for him. I mean, he's oh, not going to be bred. He's been cut. So we're not going to breed him, but uh, I should do that. Maybe I'll do that this summer. Maybe I'll put that on my list of things to do. There you go. Any time spent in the field with your dog is a good time, right? Absolutely. And I think the tests or the trials or, you know, whatever game you do with your dog gives you something to work towards. So I know, Rose, you do some trials with your dogs and it, that there's some training required. Yeah, just dabbling in. at this point, but I, we've got some aspirations. So <laughs> right we'll on. See how that goes. Great. Great. Well, we've gone longer than I said I would. Again, <laughs> it seems, seems to be a theme. Um, Rose, can you give us some closing thoughts? Yeah, I think. Thank you so much for having me on. It's good to see you guys and catch up again. Um, first of all, please come join me in Iowa sometime. I know we missed each other this year, but know that the invite is always open. Um, I love sharing what our state has to offer, which is mostly pheasants. Um, but there's other gyms in Iowa too. Trout fishing is one. Um, people don't often think about Iowa being a trout fishing destination, um, but that kind of that corner of Wisconsin, Iowa, and Minnesota is uh, a really neat area, the Driftless. And we'd love to have you up here. Um, closing thoughts for our listeners. Um uh, Thanks for making it this far. You're listening to me ramble. Um, <laughs> I want to hit again that you don't need to know everything to be a mentor. You don't need to know everything to share your love of the outdoors with your friends. So um, make an effort to share these things. 
uh, to get other folks outside. And if you want a little bit of support, you can look to your state game and fish agency. Uh, that's what I'm doing professionally. You know, I train the NASP coaches. Uh, if you want to teach, we can help you teach. If you want to be a hunter ed instructor, we can get you certified to share these things with not only kids, but other adults that want to get involved in the outdoors. So um, I'll leave it at that. Well, thank you so much for being here. Where can people find you either, you know, personal social media, professional through the Iowa DNR to find out more about op these outdoor opportunities? Sure. Um, my work email is my first and last name. So Rose Danaher, R-O-S-E dot D-A-N-A-H-E-R at D-N-R, D-N-R dot Iowa, I-O-W-A dot gov. And that's a really good way to get a hold of me or Google me. I'll come up and you can find my phone number there. Um, if you have questions about events in Iowa, again, we welcome out-of-state hunters and fishers to come to our state. Um, we'd love to have you share what we have here. Um, personally, uh, fairly active on Instagram. And my handle on there is Prairie Bell. You can kind of follow the adventures with my four short hairs on there. Um, yeah, give me a follow. I'll follow you back. I love seeing what other bird hunters are doing out in the field. Right on. I know I'm I'm following you on Instagram and I get to see lots of great pics and short stories of of the four the four crazies. Yeah. <laughs> it's a handful. <laughs> sure thing. All right, Chris, can you give us a few closing thoughts? Yeah, so uh like Rose said, thanks for the invite. I I appreciate it. I appreciate uh you know, reliving that weekend. It was a great time and, and I had a great time up there. Um, and, and like Rose said, uh, take someone outdoors with you. Uh, you know, we all have friends that are not hunters um, and and have they expressed, you know, oh, I'd like to go do that sometime. Um, take them up on that. Let them know. Like, hey, hey, man, what are you doing this weekend? Uh, let, let's let's go out and let's just you know let's go set tree stands or let's go you know let's go see if there's some birds in this field let's let's go do something and just have people do do that um and uh for you bill we 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 need to get our time we need to get our calendar synced and plan our next uh our next adventure uh because life is getting shorter every day man and uh we we need to get some we need to play next season's adventure someplace. So, Absolutely. And I've got another podcast for you. There's some more material. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually got a few things working that I need to talk to you about um, after yeah, this. So, right. I mean, this, we've been, we've done a few, we've done some hog hunting and, and a few things. So that's uh we should make it a yearly adventure someplace for sure. Absolutely. And then where can people find you if they want to follow the antics of the right household? Yeah. So, uh, I really don't have social media. <laughs> like, I don't, I, I don't have, uh, I don't, I don't do social media. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm the technology field and I don't have any social media. Find you in a public land parking lot. That's it. That you, you, could, you could find me in a, in a public land parking lot. Uh, or yeah, that's, that's about it. I don't know. Well, if someone wants to talk to Chris, they can just talk to me. There you go. <laughs> Reach me through Bill. Uh, yeah, like 
uh, I just think that my life is is uh, is not that serious or entertaining for everyone else in the world. It's pretty entertaining for me, but I don't know if everyone <laughs> find it entertaining. <laughs> I love it. All right, guys. Well, I can't thank you enough for being on the podcast. It was great to see both of you guys over Zoom. And, um, you know, I, I appreciate your time. We've, we've been at this for, for almost two hours now. Oh, uh, it'll get edited down a little <laughs> bit shorter than that. But, um, but again, I, I can't thank you enough for being here. And I hope to see you guys soon. I hope you enjoyed episode number four of the Woe Post podcast. If you'd like to become a patron, head over to patreon.com slash the Woe Post. You can contact me on Facebook or Instagram at the Woe Post or email bill at the Stay steady and God bless.